You're listening to audio from the West End Community Church in McGregor, Manitoba. Well, as uh, so many of you have uh, noticed over the last, well, it's probably about nine months now, maybe eight months, um, there has been a, uh, there's been a little bit less of me. And uh, you have noticed, and God bless you for noticing and asking me and, and all that sort of stuff. I really appreciate it. So as the, uh, the, the pounds have diminished, um, there has been, uh, you know, a lot of way to goes and, and all that sort of thing. And then as more pounds kind of came off, I noticed some of your glances turned not so much to... Uh, Way to go is, is more concern, and uh, and I appreciate that as well. And uh, and as always, Claudette and I really appreciate your prayers. Uh, so I just want to say before we get going here that uh, I actually do have a, a few health issues that are related to the weight loss and. Uh, and the weight loss has kind of helped and, and, and those sorts of things, but uh, it does look, I, not everything is confirmed yet, and there's lots of up in the air, and there are some things that we still have to uh, hear from the doctor, but uh, it looks like I have some form of diabetes, and uh, so that is something that, that Claudette and I will be dealing with, and uh, so there'll be less lemon meringue pie, I guess, and... Um, some of the some of the other really awesome things uh, haven't I don't think about that too much. Um, one of the things that um, that I have been going through as I've been dealing with this these last nine ten months is almost insatiable thirst, and uh, I remember one of the very first years we were here we were having lunch supper with Henry and Clara and uh, and Henry was telling me about his diabetes and and how how thirsty he was and I never really truly understood that until uh, I've gone through that and it's, they, there were times this summer where I just I just wouldn't I couldn't stop drinking I was so thirsty and uh, uh, I would you know I would drink before bed I would get up in the middle of the night to have more water and and just I was just drinking more water than I've ever drunk in my life um, and it didn't seem like it didn't seem like anything would be enough no amount would would be able to satisfy that that thirst that I was kind of dealing with I share that this morning because it really ties in well to what we're talking about this morning. And I wonder if the propensity that we have as human beings is to have our thirst quenched somehow, or, or we are seeking to have our, our thirst quenched. In some way, some, somehow, we are trying to have, not maybe so much our physical thirst, of course that's important, but, but when we parallel that to our, to our souls, to the very deepest longings of our hearts, um, 
on some level, we as human beings are, are looking for some kind of satisfaction. We are looking for some kind of fulfillment, for some kind of meaning. And the world, as a result of the fall, as a result of sin, is, is trying to offer you the, the quote-unquote quick fix. We're trying to, the, the world is trying to give you this this thing that, that, will, that will satisfy your, your thirst for a bit, but then will ask you to come back for more. Or, and when that doesn't work, and, and maybe you'll look for something else. And so there are a variety of things that we as humanity, that we as human beings, we use to try to satisfy that fulfillment, to try to satisfy that satisfaction, uh, that, you know, the, that, existential thirst, as it were. Um, we look for a myriad of quick-fix solutions. And I, and I think that if I asked a bunch of you to come up here and give personal testimony and, and just kind of share some of your story, um, I think we would hear a lot of different stories of, of people who, who tried to fill that, that, that vacuum inside with insert here, whatever it is. I mean, we have all, in some form or another, we have tried to fill it with work, or we have tried to fill it with, um, with whatever, uh, with relationships, with money, with some form of power. We've tr- all tried to take that and, and tried to quench that meaning, that thirst in our life with a whole bunch of different things. But the truth is that we just cannot, um, we cannot find something that is going to, we cannot find something that is going to quench our existential, our, our spiritual, our inner thirst for a lifetime, for eternity. We can't do it. There is nothing in this world that exists that will get us there. A man by the name of Zane Hodges said this. <coughs> uh, he wrote a book called The Hungry Inherit, and he said this. Love, success, wealth, fame. These were but a few of the countless springs by which men had stooped to drink only to rise from them to find that they lasted they, to find that they offered no lasting inward satisfaction no enduring personal fulfillment but his water was different it could accomplish a miracle the one who drank it was secure from thirst not merely for a time but for eternity as well so vital so transforming was such a drink that in the innermost being of the man who drank from it, there was created an inexhaustible fountain of life. The waters of that hidden inner spring could not run dry. They could not be staunched. They virtually leaped up to produce the surpassing experience of eternal life. So my question for you and for, for, for me this morning is this. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt thirsty? Have you ever felt like 
there's just no filling that void in your life? Well, I'm glad you're here this morning, if that's the case. I'm glad we're all here this morning because we are going to look at a portion of Scripture where, um, where this topic is expressly talked about. We're going to talk and look at a precious conversation that Jesus has with a woman. We don't even know her name. She is just referred to as the woman at the well. Um, and Jesus has this conversation with this woman. And he is going to deal with her with some of the same things that, that we have been talking about already this morning. With many of the th- same things that we already mentioned. And my hope is that as we look at this divine encounter, that we might see ourselves at the well in the woman's place. That it would be either a reminder of when, um, that it would be a reminder of when we encountered Jesus and he quenched our thirst, or maybe On the flip side of that, maybe today is the day when you will receive a prompting in your heart from the Holy Spirit that it's time to have your own conversation with Jesus. That's my hope. So today what we want to see is we want to see Jesus do a little bit of heart surgery, right? And I hope that as we look at this passage in John chapter 4, um, This is what I want you to see. I want you to see that only God can meet the deepest needs of the human heart through a relationship with Jesus. Let me just say that again. Only God can meet the deepest needs of the human heart through relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where we're going this morning. I'm glad you're here uh, to uh, go on this little journey with me. So let's pray before we get started. Father, these are important things that we talk about. And so I ask that you would draw our attention to your word. And Father, I pray that you would draw our attention away from the things that maybe are going on in our lives right now that, that... that threaten to distract us from what you want us to see and to hear this morning. Father, I pray that you would speak your words through my lips and that your truth would fall on eager and receptive ears this morning. It is so good to be in your house. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, if you can remember, or not last week, sorry, I can't even remember. Two weeks ago, we were in John chapter 3, weren't we? And uh, interestingly enough, this is kind of, I think that John does this for a reason. Um, In John chapter 3, we looked at another conversation that Jesus had, right? We looked at the conversation that John had with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a man of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. 
He was well-educated. He was well-respected. He had this high social standing, didn't he? He was kind of on one of the upper echelon of, of the Jewish society at the day. Now here, one chapter later in chapter 4, we're going to look at another conversation that Jesus has with a lady that we don't even know the name. And this time, it couldn't be more different. She is absolutely the opposite of Nicodemus. First of all, she's a woman. Um, she's not Jewish. She doesn't belong to any kind of respectable group. In, in fact, what we're going to see as we look into John chapter 4 is that she was actually uh, quite the social outcast. But I love the way John records these two conversations back to back. And you know what I think, just, just as an, an aside, what, what John, I think, is trying to tell us or trying to show us is that Jesus is compassionate. And he's trying to show us how relatable Jesus is, how approachable Jesus is. He's approachable and relatable to the high-class, educated, respectable usher echelons of society like Nicodemus. But he's also relatable to the lowly and to the broken and to the rejected outcasts of society. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you're going. Jesus is always ready to have a conversation with you. He's always ready to inject himself into your life. That's the beautiful picture of the way that uh, I think that Jesus can relate to all people. So, as I mentioned, we don't know her name. We just know that she's a Samaritan, and we are going to gather some information about her life from the course of this conversation. So, what we're going to do, we're not going to read the, 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 uh, the chapter because it's lengthy, we're not going to read the story as it were, but we're just going to kind of go verse by verse. We'll read a verse here. We'll make some comments on it, and then we'll go, uh, we'll go on. And hopefully we'll be able to <coughs> um, find ourselves in this story as we go through it. So here's what, I hope that you're there. John chapter 4. I just want you to, first of all, let's read verse 3. Verse 3 says, So he came to a, a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Okay, so if you back up even a little bit further, what you're going to find is that Jesus had been in Jerusalem um, for, for Passover. And now um, what's happening is Jesus is traveling north again. Um, and he's, re he's leaving the region of Judea, and he's making his way back to Jerusalem. So, for all you, I'm going to do you a favor this morning, because I guarantee, not I guarantee you, I, I always say I guarantee something, and then you all prove me wrong, but I would wager that many of you have never once even looked at your map in your Bible. So I'm going to encourage you to look at your map in your Bible today. There might be a map that, is head, that has a heading of the ministry of Jesus or the map or the Israel during Jesus' time. Take a look at that. 
and just as I just kind of, we want to orient ourselves, okay? And what we want to do is we want to see where Judea is, and we want to see where um, Galilee is in the north. <coughs> so Jerusalem is in the province of Judea, okay? Take a look at your, your map. Um, this is exciting times. We're looking at our maps in our Bibles. Um, so we have Judea in the south, Jerusalem is in Judea, and Jesus is leaving that region, and he's moving north, okay, and he's heading back to Galilee, you're going to see like a river that, um, that, that goes from the Dead Sea in the south, which is in Judea, and to Galilee in the north, there's a river in between, that's the Jordan River, and that's the eastern border of, Jeru- uh, sorry, of Israel, and in between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south, Jerusalem, and actually Jesus was heading for a place called Capernaum, which is in Galilee. I know I'm dazzling you with all this geographical information. In between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south is Samaria, right smack dab in the middle. And within the province of Samaria is the town of Sychar, where John chapter 4 is set. Okay, everybody oriented themselves? Everybody kind of taking a look? So Jesus is on his way back from Jerusalem, and it tells us in, chapter, uh, in verse 4, he came, and, and sorry, he, he said he left Judea, departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. So Jesus is on his way back from Jerusalem. He's heading north. He's heading to Galilee. And I I hope that you notice that when it says in verse 4 that he had to pass through Samaria. That is incredibly significant. And I want you to remember that. Because history tells us that almost all Jews, if they were heading north to south or south to north, they would do everything that they could within their own power to minimize their contact with the province of Samaria or any Samaritans. In fact, they would go around Samaria if they could, just so that they wouldn't be able, so they wouldn't have any contact with the people of Samaria. They wouldn't want to have any contact with them. The fact that verse 4 tells us that Jesus needed to go through Samaria, I think, is incredibly significant. You know what it tells us? It tells us that Jesus had a divine appointment with this lady at the well. He had a divine appointment with this woman. And this woman had a divine appointment with Jesus. She didn't know anything about this divine appointment. She was just going to get water. But verse 4 tells us that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. I think it was because he needed to have the conversation with this lady. The whole purpose of Jesus going through Samaria was to have a conversation, was to deal with this lady by the well. And more importantly than that, as we go through this, uh, this chapter, what we're going to find as we read through it is that 
Jesus' appointment and conversation with this lady doesn't only change her life, but it changes many more lives. And here we are, over 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about this story. All because Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Not around it, through it. This is a relatable, this is a true and relevant story. And it's just as relatable and true and relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. So let's give ourselves just a little bit of context, okay? I don't want to spend too much time on context because our time is fleeting. But here's the reason why Jews didn't like Samaritans and vice versa. The Samaritans, they weren't fond of the Jews either. Um, here's why they avoided contact, contact with each other. See, there was this long-standing animosity between Jews and Samaritans. There was deep prejudice here, racial tension that still exists today. Um, why was that? Well, here's the reason. If you go back from the time when Jesus was around, go back about 700 years, 722. Remember, that's a very significant date, 722. That's when the Assyrians came and just basically wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay? Don't want to give you too much history, but that's, that's what happened. <clears throat> the Assyrians came and they, they decimated Israel. And what they did was, their, their practice was to deport some people from the country that they, they kill or that they, uh, they conquered. And what they, would, what they would also do was they would import some of their own people into the country. So they deported some people, imported others. And what happened was that the people that they imported would marry with the people that were left behind in the country and that they would intermarry and then they would have children. And then all of a sudden, you didn't have so much a Jewish nation or a nation that had been conquered, but you had actually a, an Assyrian province. It was genius. So, backing up or just slowing down, here's what happened. 722, the Assyrians come in, they wipe out Israel, and they deport and they import, and the people that come in, they intermarry with the, the Jews that are left there, and all of a sudden, what you have is you have a group of people after a few generations that aren't Jews and aren't Assyrians. You know what you have? You have Samaritans. And so, within the same region, within the same country, 700 years later, at the time of Jesus, what you have is a bunch of people, you have a bunch of Jews, and you have right smack dab in the middle of the nation, you have a bunch of Samaritans who are neither Jews nor Assyrians, but different than the Jews. And they didn't like each other. Because they were a mixed race, the Samaritans, <coughs> not only did they kind of, you know, not only were they seen as a mixed race, but they also had a mixed religion. They adopted some of the things of the Jews, But not all things. For example, they thought 
uh, they believed in the first five books of the Bible. We call them the Pentateuch, or some people call them the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They, they held those, those things, those books to be true, the ones that were written by Moses. But the rest of the, New, the Old Testament, like the prophets and the Psalms and the, and the poetry and all that sort of stuff, that was hogwash. They did not hold to those writings. They did not accept the rest of the Old Testament. Um, also, the Samaritans would practice some of the Jewish feasts, but they wouldn't produce, or, or they wouldn't practice all of them. And they would adjust and they would modify all the Jewish celebrations to kind of, you know, fit their needs a little bit better. And because they were a mixed race, right or wrong, they were not allowed to worship in Jerusalem. And so, as a result, they built their own temple on a mountain called Gerizim. And on Gerizim, which was in the region, this, the province of Samaria, um, they also changed some of the biblical stories in their narrative. So what they said was, they said that the Garden of Eden was on Mount Gerizim. It wasn't. Um, they said that Noah's Ark, when it came to rest, it came to rest on Mount Gerizim. It didn't. Um, they said that Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice on Mount Gerizim. He didn't. Um, so they modified, they adapted, they adjusted their history and the biblical narrative that surrounded it to suit themselves and to put them actually in the best light. So that's the background for John chapter 4. Okay, always important that we, we have a little bit of context, right? Um, so, so this is the story, and this is the context, the background that is related to this, to this woman who belongs to a unique group of people. This woman at the well was a Samaritan woman. She was someone that the Jews did not have contact with. By and large, Jews did not associate with, they did not talk with, and they were always prejudiced towards all Samaritans, let alone a Samaritan woman. Let alone a Samaritan woman who had questionable moral character. And that's the situation that this lady is in in John chapter 4. We know this story well. The story goes on, and it tells us here that on their way to Galilee from Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, they stop to take a break. And they stop in the town of Sychar. And um, they, they do that probably um, because they need water. There's a well there. There's, uh, fresh water is this precious commodity. And verse 8 tells us that Jesus' disciples had gone into town to buy food. Um, and Jesus is left alone at the well for this divine encounter. Uh, I find, verse 8, what does it say there? Verse 8 says, For the disciples <coughs> had gone away into the city to buy food. I find it both funny and sad that all the disciples had to go and buy food. It just kind of feeds the narrative, doesn't it? That men are helpless when it comes to buying groceries. Um. I, I, I am helpless in a grocery store, i got to admit. But in my defense, I just, 
I'm going to just get on my soapbox for just a second here. If there is a can of pineapple on the grocery list, no one alerts you to the fact that there is rings of pineapple or crushed pineapple or cubed pineapple or pureed pineapple or whatever the case or tomato paste, crushed tomatoes, tomato sauce, whole tomatoes, or orange juice, pulp, no pulp, extra pulp. What is the deal with all the different things? No wonder the disciples were confused. Um, I once heard a story about a guy whose wife put him, uh, whose wife told him to put ketchup on the grocery list, and so he did, and then he couldn't read the rest of the grocery list. Some of you are going to get that later. Where was I? I'm sorry. I, t- I totally went off on a tangent there. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it, did it really take 12 guys to have to buy the groceries? They were probably texting Jesus. What kind of fish do you want, Jesus? Um, so here Jesus is, and he's alone by the well. And in verse 6, it says that he is weary from the journey, and it tells us in verse 6, what does it say there? Let's read it together. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So the sixth hour is biblical speak for 12 noon, okay? Um, (coughs) Verse 7, let's read that. It says, a woman from Samaria came to drink water, or to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So this is highly unusual. It's not highly unusual that a woman would come to draw water. That was actually pretty standard. But what was unusual was that this lady would come at the very top, uh, and she would come at high noon, uh, when the, the day was at its hottest. Typically, the women came to draw water in the cool of the day as the sun was setting. They wouldn't come in the heat of the day at high high noon. So you have to ask yourself, why was this woman coming when she came? And I think the answer is because she wanted to avoid the other ladies. She wanted to avoid the other women because of what we learn from her life in the course of this conversation. We find out later on that she's been married for five times and and now she is living with number six and she's not even married to him. So if you can imagine in a town 2,000 years ago when reputation and and character were were foremost in the minds of most people, uh, putting on a, a brave front... Uh, putting on a, a good outward appearance, you can imagine in a small town what kind of reputation this woman had. These other women of the town probably didn't like her, truthfully. <coughs> they probably would see her as a woman of low morals, shameful character. They would see her as a woman... Uh, that had a reputation in town that would make her a social outcast. So the awkwardness of going to the well and having to endure the glances and the whispers behind her back, no wonder she wanted to avoid that. 
But what she doesn't realize is that by going to the well at high noon, she actually was coming at the exact time of her appointment with Jesus. I mean, it was culturally unacceptable for a man to speak to a woman in public, unless they were related, unless they had a, uh, a, a marital relationship. In addition, it was even more unusual for a Jew to speak to a Samaritan. And when you put those things together, these things just didn't happen. You got this Jewish man, Jesus, speaking to a Samaritan woman, the woman by the well. It's highly unusual, and she knows it. And look at what she says in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Now, you know, we don't always, when we read the Bible, get inflection and tone. Don't you think this lady was maybe a little bit sassy? Uh, When she was talking to Jesus, maybe a little bit sarcastic. Maybe she was just saying, you know, yeah, you need something, and so now I'm okay to talk to? Some, something like that, maybe. She, um, but do you notice what Jesus says in reply? I mean, he, he just kind of, if she was being sarcastic, he just kind of sloughs that off. And look at what he says in verse 11 and 12. Uh, verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, uh, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the, water is, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than, your, than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So Jesus says in reply to this lady, if you only knew who you were talking to, it would be you that would be asking me for a drink. I've got something that will satisfy you in ways that this water will never satisfy you. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of this water that I will give you will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give you, the, the, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty again or have to come here and draw water. So maybe what starts out as a kind of a, a sarcastic or cynical attitude quickly turns into something else because Jesus has said something that has sparked her curiosity. (coughs) You have water that I can drink and I won't be thirsty again. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to have to come to the well in the middle of the day when it's hot to avoid shameful glances? She's thinking physical thirst, right? She's she's thinking about her, her physical needs, but Jesus is talking about quenching something that is deeper within her. He's talking about bringing satisfaction to her heart in ways that nothing and no one else can. And little does she understand that he's not talking about this 
you know, the physical thirst and, and quenching that. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about something that only he can offer. He's talking about something, he's talking about quenching the very deepest longings of her heart. And that's the direction he starts to go. He's, he's, he first talks about water and he talks about that and then he moves in a, in a completely different direction. And he's about to, to kind of perform this meticulous kind of heart surgery on this lady. And because he wanted her, and, and by extension, he wants you to understand, I'm talking about your heart, lady. I'm talking about the deepest longings of your heart. And so in verse 16, Jesus says something that <coughs> on the surface sounds completely out of left field. Because he's talking about this lady, he's talking about water, he's talking about getting a drink from her, and then he's talking about living water. And then look at what he says in verse 16. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. So up until this point, he'd been talking about water, and now he says, go get your husband. And you know how she replies. She says, well, I don't have a husband. I find that interesting that she tells him that. She, she, she could have said, that's none of your business. She could have said, uh, she could have lied. She could have said he's away on business. She could have said anything, but no, she comes right out and she says to him, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yep, that's true. The fact of the matter is you've been married five times and the guy that you're living with is, is now number six. So Jesus just cuts to the quick right away and he, he lays her wide open here. She cuts her heart open. He exposes what's going on in her life. And in one statement, by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jesus cuts through the fluffy chit-chat. And says, you know what the issue is here, lady? It's your heart. And what I have to offer you can quench you in a way that nothing else can. Not even this water. I'm talking about the longing of your heart. You're right, you don't have a husband. You've been looking for love. And we talked about this at the beginning, but think about this. What do you think the greatest need of this lady's heart was? What do you think the greatest need of this, of this particular lady, this woman at the well, what was her, her greatest need? Anyone want to venture a guess? It was love, wasn't it? It was, it, it was, it was belonging. She wanted to be loved. She wanted to be loved. And the truth was that she was looking for the kind of love that no earthly man can satisfy. She needed something different than a romantic relationship. Because as great as a romantic relationship is, there is a deeper longing in the soul of every human being who has ever lived in every single one of us. And she, this lady at the well, she had this need, and she tried to fill it with, with love from, from five different guys, from six different guys. 
from relationships with various men, and they were never able to satisfy her. And the reason was because they couldn't give her what only Jesus can. You know, Jesus gave us human relationships as a wonderful gift. Human relationships are, uh, are friendships. Human relationships like marriage. God gave us those things as a gift, and they're meant to, be, they're meant to, to build us up. They're meant to be good things in our lives. God has given us those things to complement our lives, not complete us. There, there was a, a movie... Uh, a number of years ago, and, and the, the, the big line in the movie right at the end was, you know, the, the, the guy says to the girl, you complete me. Yeah, whatever. Uh, that's not true. Because we cannot complete our spouses. And don't ever think that when you get married, you are finally completed. Because that's not what God intended. God intended your spouse, your relationships, to complement you, but never to complete you. I mean, think about it. (coughs) Your husband and your wife cannot complete you. And if you think that he or she can, that you are always going to be glooming onto them to try to get something within you satisfied that they simply cannot meet. It can only ultimately be met by Jesus. I mean, if you believe that, then what does that say about people who are single? Does that mean that they aren't complete? That's not true. You're not complete because you got married. You're not complete because you have a best friend. Friends compliment us. Spouses compliment us. Their strengths complement our weaknesses, vice versa. It's complementary, but the only one who completes us is the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel like there should have been an amen there, but that's okay. Only he can meet the deepest needs of our, of our, human, of, of our hearts. And when we don't find it in him, when we, when we don't find the deepest needs satisfied in the Lord Jesus, you know what we end up doing? We do exactly what this woman did. We go from one relationship to another. We go from one drink to another. We go from one drug to another. We go from from one bank account to another. We go from whatever it is to this, to this, to this, to this. We keep going to these things. And we keep trying to fill that void within us. You name it, we look in multiple directions and we either try to medicate or we try to placate a need in our hearts that only, ultimately, Jesus can satisfy. We are the woman at the well. You see this? Do you you see it? Every single one of us has this hole in our hearts that only Jesus can fill. I, I know that I've shared this quote for you. with you before. Blaise Pascal, he's a, a 17th century physicist and philosopher, and he said this. Truer words have never been spoken. There is a God shaped vacuum or hole in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied 
by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. And this is true. The longing that we have for love and acceptance and the longing that we have for forgiveness and the longing that we have for fulfillment only comes in Jesus. We are the woman at the well who needs a Savior. And so, for you note-takers, and I am being completely honest here, this morning. I'm not trying to slip in sub points and all that sort of stuff. I only got one point. Only one. And you can remember it or you can write it down. I don't care. But there is only one point. Here's what we want to walk away from this service with. Only God can meet the deepest needs of the human heart through relationship with Jesus. I said it at the beginning and I'll say it again. Only God can meet the deepest needs of the human heart through relationship with Jesus. That's the point of this conversation, this story that we have here in John chapter 4. This encounter that Jesus has with the woman at the well. Only God can meet the deepest needs of the human heart with, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the point of this encounter with the Samaritan woman. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped here on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. You know, if you read most Bible commentaries on John chapter 4 and on verse 19, what you're going to find is that a lot of guys or a lot of authors are going to say that this lady in verse 19 was trying to deflect the conversation or that she was trying to change the subject because Jesus had just kind of well we just went through it I mean he just laid her bare right I'm gonna I'm gonna just suggest that maybe this is this is something different this lady had just been exposed. She, was, she is raw and she is convicted. Could it be that she is asking, because in that day, the way that you made atonement for your sins through a sacrifice, right? I mean, when you wanted to atone for your sins before Jesus, what did you do? Well, in the days of Moses, you went to the tabernacle. In the days of David and, and Solomon, and, and, and after that, there was a temple, and you went to the temple to atone for your sin. And the Samaritans, they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And so she is asking, where do I go to make atonement for my sin? Is it Gerizim, where my forefathers said? Is it Jerusalem, where you Jews say it is? Where am I supposed to go? Look at what Jesus says in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is, for the, is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is asking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's answering her question. Where should I go to worship? 
don't go, don't go anywhere. Neither one is true. You don't, know to, you don't need to go to Jerusalem and you don't need to go to Gerizim. You don't need to go to those places because God is spirit. Because you can get right with him wherever you are because true worshipers worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. And so the implication for this lady and for us here in 2022 is you can get right with Jesus at Jerusalem. You can get right with God at Gerizim. You can get right with him on a combine in a field. You can get right with him right here on Sunday at West End. You can get right with God wherever you are. You can be anywhere, anytime, because God is everywhere all the time. Take a look at verse 25. This is, G, this is the lady's response. She said, the woman said to him, I know <coughs> that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to him, I um, who speak to you am he. The, the lady's response is, you know, I, I'm looking for the Messiah. And, and Jesus says, I'm the one you've been searching for. I'm the one who can satisfy every longing of your heart. And this is one of the rare times in the Gospels when Jesus reveals himself and he doesn't mind someone leaving that, that encounter and, and telling others about it. This lady runs back into town, the scriptures say, and she says to everyone, come and, and meet this man who, did every, who, who knew everything that I did. And what's interesting here is as you read on in John chapter 4, which I encourage you to do in your quiet time this week, <clears throat> you're going to find that they invited Jesus and the disciples to stay for two more days. And many, it says, in that town believed in Jesus. They were drawn to Jesus because of this lady's story, because of her testimony. Because of one encounter with Jesus. So many people's lives were impacted and 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. Can I ask you something? Do you know Jesus that way? Have the deepest longings of your heart been satisfied through a relationship with Jesus Christ? I mean, many of us, many of us have gone in search of different things. And maybe it is that you remember those things that you searched for and you tried to bring satisfaction to your life through. Or maybe it is this morning that you are sitting here and you are still trying to find that satisfaction, that fulfillment. Can I just tell you that there is nothing and there is no one that will ever be able to satisfy you and to fill you forever apart from Jesus Christ. He alone can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. 
What this story in John chapter 4 really tells us is that it is Jesus who desires to fill your life with a lasting and an eternal, unquenchable uh, uh, relationship. I invite you to trust him today or to share this truth with someone who needs to hear it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are a good God. You are a God who loves us unconditionally. You desire to be a part of every aspect of our life. You ask that we come to you. You ask that we give you our lives and, and, and in return you provide meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment and, and water that, that satisfies forever. And yet we know, Father, that there are so many out there that still need to drink from that well. And it is, it is incumbent upon you, uh, upon all of us to, to do what we can to share the truth of the living water. Father, I pray that it is, if it is that, that we need to, to do business with you, to have this divine encounter, this conversation with you, Father, I pray that we wouldn't wait, that it would be today. And Father, if it is that we know of their of people in our lives that need to hear the truth, that need to have this appointment with you, Father, I pray that we would help them, that we would share what we know, and that they too would drink from the water that will satisfy for eternity. Man, it's good to be in church, Father. I do thank you for your grace and for your love and for your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.